welcome to the Generations Church Midweek Podcast, uh, a podcast about everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. My name is John. I'm the engagement pastor here. And across the uh, Vancouver area, across the screen from me right now is Kyle Davies, our lead pastor. You know what it is? You and your Yankees hat, man. Yeah. Wow. Well, a little morning that uh, the baseball season has not is not here yet. So, yeah. you know, you never got in, never switched over to the uh, local teams, you know, never switched over to Seattle Mariners or anything. No, no, no. It's so it's all right, man. No. People here and maybe Portland's going to get one. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll, yeah. no, Yankees, Yankees, Yankees for life. Oh, so Yankees for life. Of course, you would be a Yankees fan as though you were a Tom Brady fan, too. Yeah, hey, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, so you got you to gotta, you gotta do what it is, though. You got to do what it is because it's Yankee. I was, I was born in New Jersey, so, like, family's a Yankees fan. You were born in New Jersey. I throw, yes. Oh, my gosh, throws me for a loop every time. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Yes. Well, cool. For those of you who are hopping on, maybe you're watching on Facebook, YouTube. Are we on Periscope, too? We should be on Periscope. I think we are too. Uh, feel free to comment, interact with us, ask us some questions. Uh, say, Kyle, clarify this because you're going off on a huge tangent and I need you to reel it in. That's yep. okay. You can do that. You can tell them. And we want this to be a conversation, uh, an area for you to bring your questions, bring um, basically just clarification. Kyle, how does this deal with us being everyday Christians who are trying to follow Jesus in our everyday life with people we interact with? All over the place. And so uh, kind of going off our Sunday teaching from uh, this past weekend, it was Easter Sunday. You know, we finished up our uh, two-week series of There Is Good News. And we went through Luke 24, 1 through 12, uh, resurrection story. And this weekend, um, you brought about two concepts, this idea of escape and evidence. And you argue that we live in a world that wants tangible, verified facts and that also wants to be able to distract ourselves or avoid the hardships of life. And then you connected these two concepts to uh, the parallel anxiety of what we're dealing with right now to the anxiety the believers had uh, pre-Sunday 2,000 years ago as they saw Jesus go to the cross and die and be buried in a tomb. And then you went on to give uh, some examples of myths that have been placed on Jesus's resurrection story and Kyle, like with this kind of big picture, these concepts, these myths that you uh, intertwine together, can you just briefly explain to us the connection here and what separates Jesus from these myths that you brought up? Yeah, man, I, 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 set, I set the table for this discussion because I think sometimes when we get around Easter and as we get into Christian circles, uh, one of the critiques and one of the, the challenges about Christians in this time is that they're not completely aware of the other stories out there, about the, the potential of like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They're not aware of the other myths that involve someone who basically had similar claims to Jesus and a Messiah and, and what that entails. So okay. here, here, here's what I want to do is I want to we're going to do a deep dive really quick into two myths about uh, just just Christ type figures. Yeah. And then we're going to critique them a little bit. And then we will 
we'll talk about some of the implications for our life and what that means for Jesus. So first myth that is out there that has similar uh, narratives or storylines that of, of Jesus of Nazareth is Horus. So Horus is one of the oldest and most significant deities in ancient Egypt. Um, he was worshipped heavily in the Greco-Roman period. Um, okay. And so here, here are some of the claims that parallel Jesus uh, about Horus. So Horus was born of a virgin on December 25th. He was born in a manger. Uh, three kings followed a star in the east to his birth. Uh, he was a child teacher by the age of 12. He was baptized in the river by Anup, uh, who was later beheaded. Uh, he had 12 disciples. He was a fisherman. He was crucified between two thieves, and he was raised from the dead after three days. Man, that, that sounds a lot like the story yeah. of Jesus. So here, here's the evaluation point. Was Horace's mother... Uh, a virgin. So that's that's what we claim about Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Uh, if we look at the story of Horus's conception and birth, we learn that his mother's name was Isis and his father's name was Osiris. So prior to Horus's conception, Osiris was in a fight with another god during which he was killed and chopped into several pieces. So in order to conceive Horus, Isis gathered up the pieces of Osiris's body and conceived Horus by hovering over uh, the several phallus or whatever. And so to call this a parallel to the virgin birth and conception, just not there. That's, that's a stretch. Secondly, Horace does not share uh, a birthday with Jesus. Um, while we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, likely Jesus was not actually born on December 25th. So to single that out and say, those are exact. I know I just bursted some bubbles right there uh, for some people. Uh, while that's, again, how we celebrate that in the modern Western world, um, Jesus's celebration of his birth wasn't started uh, until Pope Julius I in the fourth century. Um, and he just, to challenge the pagan celebration of a Roman God uh, yeah. whose birthday was on December 25th. And so we, Christians did not craft Jesus to replace Horace by selecting December 25th. Um, in addition to that, there's no credible historical evidence to suggest that Horus was born in a manger. Um, there's just, they, that's one of the things that kind of out there, but from what I've read and what I've studied, there's nothing in, in ancient literature and ancient documentation, uh, primary sources that say that's where Horus was born. Um, furthermore, the idea of this star that people would follow uh, to his birth Again, it's unique. It's interesting because it's like three kings. Well, in the scriptures in our Bible, it never says three kings went to Jesus's birth and and mm -hmm. and went to a manger. In fact, uh, it says actually when the Magi came from the east, they went to a house. Mm -hmm. And so, so there's some interest. Like you start to really look at the nuances of the stories. Again, we we see some differences uh, there, and. Uh, also, like the Magi were likely Babylonian or per Persian. Uh, there's again, there's never three. There were three gifts, but not necessarily uh, three kings. Um, and so, as we have looked at this, I hope you see that there's just some inconsistencies um, in these two narratives. Um, there's no evidence to support the claims that Horace was a teacher. I'm just looking over some of my notes real quick. Um, and there's, as people 
analyze and scrutinize the, the story of Horace. Um, you also see that it's evaluated and it says that Horace was not crucified between two thieves and resurrected from the dead three days later. Uh, in most Horace stories, he doesn't even die at all. There's multiple stories out there. Um, and one questionable story, he's cut into pieces and thrown into water. And so one story, supposed similar parallels, just doesn't add up. So Jesus, we see not similar to Horus in terms of the whole story. That brings us yeah. to Mithras. So story <laughs> number two. Yes, I'm, I'm still talking about this. Um, yeah. Another mythological figure frequently cited um, as the Christ parallel um, in Roman mythology. And basically, it's this mystery religion practice in the ancient Roman Empire um, from the first to fourth century. So very similar time period. But the parallels between Mithras and Christ um, are similar to some with Horus. Mithras was born on a virgin on December 25th. Shepherds attended his birth. He had 12 disciples. He was buried on a tomb and three days later rose from the dead. Uh, and if we look at each of these claims, again, we see that Jesus wasn't necessarily born on December 25th. Um, Mithras wasn't, never was claimed to be born of a virgin mother. Um, yeah. And the story is that he was actually fully formed out of a rock with a dagger, like in one hand, I'm um, in a torch and another. So again, virgin birth, fully God, fully man. There's some inconsistencies there. Um, again, Mithras story does tell of shepherds present as birth who help him get, uh, get dug out of the rock face. Okay, what's that about? Anyways, most likely that the scenarios of Mithras, they started mm -hmm. to adopt as, as Christianity took hold, as Christianity began to expand. They, the the Greco-Roman culture, again, the dominant culture probably started actually adopting and adapting some of the story of Jesus into fit the story of Mithras. So you see Mithras actually begin, the, his story begins to evolve um, over the years. Um, early church writers, Tertullian and Justin Martyr, uh, make this very point when they address the Mithraic cults of their time, arguing that certain practices of the cult among them, baptism and communion are copying Christian symbols. So again, early Christian writers are critiquing these other myths and saying, listen, you're actually adapt adopting and adapting what we have said in the story of Jesus. And there's no record of Mithras dying in any mythological uh, material. Hmm. Now, the reason I bring up both of these two stories, because they're, they're two of the most popular, yeah. is to point out adventure and story and a drive for hope and almost transcendence hmm. is written on our hearts. Okay. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 says that the Spirit of God writes his law on our hearts of all people. And so that, it, I think it explains why all people are drawn to stories of grand narrative, of, of hope and redemption, of, of conflict. And out of that conflict, um, there's, there's some level of, of rescue, of, of we can look to a specific figure, a specific person, and say, man, they've done something for me. But as we contrast Jesus of Nazareth with Horus and Mithras, we see yeah. that their stories are ultimately incomplete. And that the story of Jesus 
tells a story of a, a God stepping out of heaven, becoming man, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying the death that we deserve, and then being resurrected three days later. And many people, again, Paul, Paul later writes in, in 1 Corinthians that like 500 or so people saw the resurrected Jesus. And so what we hear in all this is that this cruciform and resurrection narrative is almost built into the way in which we're wired. It, it's, it's, it's something that we see in nature as well. I think, I think this is why it's wired into us is because the seed has to go in the ground and die before it produces fruit. And so this idea, this narrative, this story that something has to die to then produce new life is is mm -hmm. intrinsic is is just as we observe nature and observe it's like it's wired into us but there's something yep. specifically about jesus christ that that speaks to the fullness of our experience um we're diving back into colossians in the next couple of weeks which i'm really excited about it and this is something similar to what uh the apostle paul suggests in his letter to the colossians let me, let me read these two verses that we may or may not be addressing next week. It okay. says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or whether regard of a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Religious practices involving food and drink, celebration of festivals, were a shadow of an anticipation of Christ who later arrives and supplies the shadows with substance. The ancient myths, symbols, and festivals were God-given anticipations of the Christian story that prepared people to respond to the good news of Jesus. God uses things in our culture to draw us to himself, to move us to a place of, okay, something has to answer the chaos that we, we experience. And that's why I brought up J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, because yeah. in their interaction, you see them go back and forth. And Tolkien ultimately persuade Lewis to say, listen, the very longing of your soul that you find appealing in the myths because it provides you an escape from reality is also paired with an evidence of a crucified and resurrected Jesus by first century uh, scholars, historians and writers. So pair these two together and you get the beautiful picture of Jesus Christ being historically accurate, uh, being uh, also extremely satisfying because it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah. And so I say all that to kind of give us two stories and a little bit of recap. John, I, I try to bring that evidence and escape together in a single sermon on Resurrection Sunday on celebrating Jesus <laughs> What's something that you might have walked away with? Because as, as I'm trying to bring all these concepts in, into a focus, what, what did you walk away with as I give us kind of some insight behind the scenes and then, and then bring, people, bring people forward? Man, I, <laughs> it, it, was, it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. I, I loved the, the mythological, the, uh, the evidence and escape concept that you brought about just to remind us that at the end of this, that through the resurrection story, that we're reminded that we follow a relational God mm -hmm. who pursues us, not because of what we do for him, but because he loves each and every one of us. Literally, any, he loves all of us, 
those who follow, those who don't, those who've turned away. We have a God who's willing to put aside himself for the benefit of others and how that shapes our life is, is crazy. And I, I love the connection you made of the anxiety um, that we see right now in the midst of the COVID-19 and the anxiety of the early church and the followers of Jesus, like as he goes from the cross to the tomb and what they're dealing with, that man, like this past weekend, we, we celebrated a savior who laid aside his own life for the sake of others. Mm. And in the midst of um, this social distancing, I mean, that's kind of the, at the core of what's going on along right now is that the whole premise of social distancing is that, yeah, you might have to give up a little bit of the comfort of your life, the things you might want to go out and do for the safety and health of others. Mm. That, um, I mean, it's so easy right now to see the negativity, uh, to see the, um, man, just the resilience to social distance and the questioning of, man, when is everything going to go back to normal? When are, uh, when am I going to be able to go out uh, and do the things that I'm used to doing, have the life in which I used to have instead of dealing with what's going on right now. Mm. And I feel like it's so imperative of the church that in the midst of this time that we remember that generosity, love, and service isn't paused during this time. Rather, it's always present and it might just look a little bit different, mm. that we do have to set aside some of the comfort, norm, uh, normality of life, the things we would usually like to go and enjoy do. Like I I can't go out and uh, play golf right now. Like, it's just kind of what it is. I have to set that aside for the safety and health of others in the midst of this time. You know, it's a, it's been beautiful. It's been 65, 70 degrees and sunny out here, which coming out of the rainy season is the prime time to get out and do stuff. But right now, like what is best for those around us is to set aside ourselves and follow the example of Jesus to continue to love and show generosity and service hmm. in ways that uh, go against our cultural norm. Um, maybe we'll go against things that bring us comfort, bring us joy, or even let us go to that good life because we want to see other people thrive. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So, so unpack that a little bit more so as you as you're explaining that and as i'm as i'm thinking and watching and and listening to man what what do you think some of the what are some of the barriers there so as, as we talk about this this christ narrative and following a, a crucified and then risen savior man what do you think some of the disconnect is between this pattern of self-sacrifice and then bridging that with with every day hmm. Man, I really think it, uh, I always come back to one of our values that you have uh, brought about of the idea of give over get. Man, it, it's the following the example of Jesus that we want to uh, live a generous life where we put, we put others above our own gain. You know, it's so easy to live in a world where it's like, man, what can I achieve? What can I do? What can I get for myself? What can I bring around me to bring myself happiness, bring myself joy. And sometimes that goes against what uh, helps and benefits other people. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's very easy to focus on what is happening to me and not realize what's happening to other people around us. Mm. What we see in a, Jesus is, dude, he, he came to us. God came in human flesh 
to his people that were broken and gave them something they needed. He gave up um, things of himself. Like he gave up his own comfort. He went to the cross to be killed. Like we always, like we talked about last week, um, that people expected this Messiah who would come in and be king, who would rule and conquer the land. And yet you see Jesus who came in with peace, came in very different than what we expected him to be. And so often, like the way in which we encounter and engage the world sometimes is going to be different than what we expect it to be and what people around us truly need in the moment. Mm. And people in the midst of anxiety and nervousness, it, it might just mean that we have to put aside being able to go outside and do certain things to go engage with people um, like we're used to. Because, I mean, we're used to being able to go do whatever we want, get together, go to the... Uh, go to a restaurant, watch a game together. Uh, I mean, even gathering for Sunday services is so different now because it's all online. It's not even like you go to your friend's house to watch service. It's like, no, like stay in your house, in your living room with the family and the people that live in your household in the midst of social distancing and still engage and connect with people online. And it's so, so different than what we're used to. We're used to a world in which we can go do what we want. And now it's the benefit uh, for others and the health for other people is to honestly stay home and do something that's might not be comfortable for some yeah. of us who aren't necessarily affected by this. Yeah. I, I, I feel that fine line that as you are, are sharing that you're, you're trying to dance around it. Like not like you're, yeah. tr- you're trying to say it nicely. Like yeah. but I, I think at the core is like, we just got to recognize that as people, we can be extremely, extremely, like just selfish. And so the idea of being selfless is, is, is something we, we, we love to receive. Like that's where that like escape, like it's like, we love it when someone demonstrates love and selflessness for us. But at the same time, we almost resent it because we almost feel an obligation in return of like, well, Mm. if someone's going to do that for me, then I obviously have to, I like, like, like I, I, I've got to do it in return. And so there's this, like, there's this, there's this tension that we wrestle with of, man, someone truly loves me that much. I I have to respond. I have to give something in return, but, but, but it's much easier to just completely just disengage and separate ourselves from that and just go like, listen, I like, I just, let me do me. Like, let me just exist in my own lane. Yeah. and not worry about anyone else yeah we don't want to think about the consequences of our actions whether sometimes our consequences aren't necessarily negative like we might do stuff and it results a positive thing but even some of our actions do have negative consequences for others and we don't necessarily want to think about that because it yields a positive thing for us well and the other thing is like we don't want to we don't want to bear the weight of the responsibility um it, and so again i i i say that because it's, it's easier to, to go to an escape. It's easier to, to, to scroll. It's easier to binge watch TV. It's easier to just be like, man, let me just shut everything off and pretend like, like this stuff just isn't real. And while at the same time, you go back to that evidence piece and it's like, it's, it's, we clamor for evidence, but then the evidence we're given, if it doesn't, if it doesn't connect with, with where we're at, like we instantly go to, to escape. And so we have to remember that even as we go through this is we're going to have, we're going to have elements of just selfishness and yeah. self-centeredness that come out 
And we've got to be able to identify them so that mm -hmm. we can correct the thought, the feeling, the behavior before it does like damage. And that's where, that's where having the Holy Spirit in us because of our faith in Jesus actually brings an awareness of like, hey, in this moment, you're being selfish and directs us in the way. Because again, we're also finite beings. And what yeah. better way to, to, to truly live and, and see like, and see the good life be be reproduced into our world and into the lives of others than having uh, all-knowing infinite god dwell within us and give us guidance each and every day and every every moment of our day yeah i yeah i'm right there with you and i loved how um kind of to wrap up this concept of escape and evidence and how you try to tie it together um near the end of your teaching you basically brought about this uh, concept that the resurrection it does apply to our everyday life it affects it it changes it it shapes it and so that's where i even want you to elaborate on that like what are what are the tangible ways in which this affects how we live in response to the resurrection jesus rising from the grave and what we celebrate uh this past sunday in easter so so here here's the claim and here here's what i would say is why i went over in a boat to say like this is the truth of the matter is if the resurrection didn't happen in a real time, in a real space, then Jesus's sacrifice didn't, didn't and doesn't do what uh, Christians believe it did. Hmm. That sin, death, and evil have been defeated. So if Jesus didn't really die and he didn't really rise and he really didn't live that perfect life before his death, then sin, death, and evil really aren't defeated. And it means that we have to, uh, to, to be connected with God. It's like we have to earn it or we have to achieve it. Or there's a level of merit that we have to display in our world. And so when we understand that the early Christians believe this had happened and then pass on this faith to us, we're able to have certainty that the, the debt that is owed for wrongdoing has been paid, the shame that comes with wrongdoing has been erased. Yeah. Um, the power that it has over our lives has been conquered and that evil uh, will stand trial at the end of time and get its due. And we can have confidence that it is, that it is, it, evil doesn't have the last say now. Um, yeah. And so Jesus, we believe he defeated the one thing that stands in, in the face of every human being. And that is death. Um, death is something that no Greek gods, uh, no Greek mythology could, could reverse, no Roman gods, no Egyptian gods. It's something that they said was just a part of life and was never claimed to be reversed. And it is, it is the Christian claim that through Jesus, death is actually not the end. Death is a doorway. Um, and really eternal life starts with faith in Jesus and you just pass, pass through that doorway um, into the next. And so um, when we reject this claim, um, we're rejecting God himself and what he has planned for your life. And so we have to actively follow him. And it moves us to things exactly like you said, give over, get. It moves us to things like story over sin, where like we won't let someone's sin define who they are. We want to hear their story and we want them to know that God has a story and a plan for their life. 
and that their past sin, their past fear, their past failure doesn't have the final say that ultimately the story of God through Jesus, that, that, that's the final say. Um, it allows us to take the perspective of progress over perfection, like that we're not going to be perfect and Jesus was perfect so that we just want to continue to follow him and allow his perfection to live in us and grow in us and ultimately change us, which then leads to changing the world uh, around us. And so, John, I, I can spout out some of our values in that way. Uh, but I know you've been going through some just additional classwork and uh, you've been studying a lot of like discipleship is the, the technical term and, and yeah. like what that means. And, and I know as you, you've done a level of study and, and I have too, but you've been studying this, but yet we're also going through this unique season and time within, within the church yeah. um, with this COVID-19 stuff. I mean, how would you just define followership of Jesus in this cultural moment? Um, is there like an image that, that you think, man, this, I think this helps us navigate um, just, just life and followership of Jesus right now. And if anyone can hear, there's banging above me, which is my kids playing. And so if you hear, if you hear a level of banging, you gotta love it. And, and quarantine, man, right? but, but that's life right now. That is life. Dude, I, I love it. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the central images that, um, has really shaped my understanding and kind of thought process of this term disciple, discipleship is really like something that we probably use almost every day. Well, maybe not now staying at home, but used to use every day is our maps. Like, I mean, think about it. You have Google maps on your phone. Those of you who haven't downloaded the extra app and still use Apple maps, maps, which isn't as good. I try to tell my wife that she doesn't listen to me. It's all right. She'll, she'll get there someday. But I mean, think about it. So this term disciple, um, back in, I mean, biblical time when they're kind of around, the term is from the verb to learn. And so uh, there's always this connotation that uh, you're learning from someone, you're following under somebody who is either a master or a teacher, or you have a knowledge of somebody else. And so it's easy to, um, I feel like I always grew up with the connotation that disciple and Christian were synonymous. Um, but even in this, it's interesting to see that there's moments in scripture where the term disciple is used for those who aren't committed believers. Even, uh, you see in John's, uh, chapter six, after feeding, uh, the 5,000 people that Jesus is talking to this crowd he's giving this tough challenge of following him, that he's the bread of life, that the spirit is within him. And then like the connection between him and the father, he goes, some of you disciples aren't going to follow me. And it literally says right after that, that John says that uh, there's some disciples who were there that turned and walked away, mm. that there were disciples who departed. And it's interesting to think that, you know, maybe disciple doesn't mean a committed believer. And yet maybe it's more or less kind of like this. This is how I like to explain it, that you have Jesus on your GPS, that there is the ping mark of who Jesus is. We know um, who he is, what he's about, and especially in our American culture, it's a majority of us have heard of Christianity, have heard of who Jesus is. That might not be the case for some other cultures and everything, but especially where we are in our cultural moment, a majority of us have heard of Jesus. He's on our map. We have a place mark, but it doesn't mean that our directions and route are set on him. 
Mm. Our direction and route might be set on our own idea of what it means to achieve the good life. And that's where our um, drop point is and we're routing ourselves towards there. And sometimes it might take us uh, down some similar roads as what you would to go to Jesus. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't lead you to the same destination. Mm. So we've talked about this before is kind of the deconstruction and reconstruction uh, faith and everything of how we're in the post-Christian culture. And so even think about some people around you who are non-Christians, uh, see the value of serving, of loving one another, of caring for people. They, they like the idea of helping people who are in need. And so they'll go out and they'll serve and do things because they think it helps lead them to the good life of, yes, I'm helping other people. I'm being a good citizen. They're not doing it because of Jesus. They're doing it because they think that's what it takes to have a good life. And so they might be going a similar path in some areas, but in other areas, they're going to divert. They're yeah. going to turn and they're going to change. Does, is that resonating with you? Yeah. Well, and I go back to even something I just, I just had said a, a minute ago. It's like, it's almost those things are good because it's, it's the, the, the personal self attempting to overcome sin and death and its consequences in, in our world presently. And so what you see is you see people who are attempting to uh, overcome that in, in this present life now with all, of, with all of these good things, earn merit, earn some goodwill, uh, because that, that's what, you, that's what, you, that's what yeah. you have to do. And in effect, what, it, what we have to come back to is, is a passive followership of Jesus really isn't a followership of Jesus at all. Like he, he's on your radar and there may be some influence, but yep. really we want, we want to see an active followership um, of Jesus. And I, I would even, John, even as we're talking on this podcast, man, I, I think that the, the piece of our country that, that is drastically changing is um, I think less and less people are actually familiar with, with the story of Jesus and what that means for their life. Cause I, I we probably yeah. have a few people right now who, yeah, th they've heard of church, yeah. But the idea of actively following Jesus, oh yeah, it may be something that that's that's actually I would say is very different between attending a church and connecting with a church and yeah. actively following Jesus. And I think even as you and I, in real time, as we're talking and processing this, man, I think I think it's really good clarity to help people understand that what we're advocating for is not something that is on the margins of your life. Yeah. And, and that's where I love your GPS analogy, but something that's, that's actually tuned in to Jesus and you're trying to become more like him mm -hmm. rather than um, just kind of have him on, on the margins. And so while I think yeah. disciple to your point is someone who can be influenced by Jesus and, and have some, have some movement, yeah. we, we want to move from that awareness to a, a, an activity and an activity. intentionality. Like yeah. making the yeah. intentional effort to allow his characteristics and priorities shape your everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, we almost want to see that, that, um, imitation, you know, as another word, we use the word embody a lot. And I think sometimes that can get lost on people, but I, I think the idea is we want to see an imitation of Jesus character and priorities uh, in, in your life. And so there has to be an intentional bridge of, of, of pursuit of, of him. And again, the reason why we would point you to a pursuit of Jesus and not just him existing in the periphery of your life is 
again, because if we don't intentionally pursue him, if he, if he's not something we're trying to imitate, then what will happen is we will try to make up for the gap of sin and death and and its consequences in our world through our own strength and our own power, which ultimately will, will see some good, but ultimately will prove uh, futile. And so, because it's, it, it, it truly comes from uh, the, the power, power of Jesus, which is why the, the, uh, uh, oh, I just, I had the word, man. It's, it's one of those moments, but anyways, I, I love the GPS concept. Um, yeah. And, so, and where we're at. So, yeah. So let me ask you this. Like we, we've talked a lot, uh, kind of about our, um, kind of the resurrection story we talked about this weekend, uh, how Easter and just kind of the state of which our world is at right now, like how, how do we as the collective body, as the church, how do we go forward in dealing with the everyday life that's affected by the uncertainty, the unpredictableness, and just the craziness in which we're dealing with? Like what, what does it look like for us to go forward as followers uh, who want to embody Jesus? Yeah. Um, I, I, we, we can learn a lot from the early disciples here. I think sometimes we forget that their culture and their worldview when Jesus was resurrected was blown up. Like it, it was changed everything they had expected or thought. Cause again, they went, to, as I said, something, they went back to the tomb. They were not expecting a resurrected Lord. Like, and then it's like, it happens. And it's like, oh yeah, he did say that. And it's like, so now everything is, is shifted for them. What I think we have to realize in this kind of COVID-19 moment, what has happened before, um, we're not going to go back. Yeah. Like, like this, not to equate COVID-19 with the resurrection of Jesus, but I, I think in a lot of different ways, we have people who say, man, I can't wait till it gets back to normal. I can't like, I just, I want it to go back on and that's the same thing that people have been saying for 40 and 50 and 60 years. I just want it to go back. I just want it to go. I just be honest and to be blunt, like, and I'm going to try to be as gracious as I can. We're not going back. And, and practically what that means for the believer in everyday life is, is you are not going to be able to rely on one hour a week on a church service on a Sunday to to, to drive your spiritual life yep. in our chaotic frenzy of a world and social distancing right now we in in a in a world that has a lot of needs there's a lot of heart and there's like and people like watching this right now probably are like man they feel every single word i'm saying when i talk about the hurt and like the uncertainty and they, they don't know what's what's coming or changing the, the crisis is is very real and so we can't just pretend like it, it doesn't exist what that points us back to is okay how do we move forward with real tangible solutions that simply allow us to live out our faith every day where we live work and play and so the resurrection of jesus changes everything so very practically christians like quit quit looking at going back like, like, like in the, in the nicest way I can say, quit saying like, we got to stop saying, I can't wait for it to go back to like, there, there is no, like, what is normal anyways? Yeah. Like, like, let's just like a world steeped in sin and death and darkness and evil at time. Again, 
a lot of good things. I love what John Krasinski is doing with the, with the good news. Cause there is good out there. There's a lot of good out there, but let's, let's quit saying, Oh, let's just go back and let's start moving forward with the gospel incarnating it, imitating Jesus yep. and being good news to other people. And when we start to do that, yeah, man, you want to talk about like a way forward. I mean, just imagine six months from now, what what would what our culture would look like if, as if believers continually to take their faith seriously, spend time with Jesus each and every day, and actually woke up and say, "I'm at home." What in the world can I do to love my neighbor, yep. to better follow Jesus, to better see a need, meet a need? Yeah. What like what could our world like look like in six months? And I, I just, I throw that almost question out there to say, we personally, we have to start asking Jesus, what do you want me to do? And in order to ask that question and get an actual answer, we've got to start taking uh, our faith and seeing it manifest itself in our lives and actually engaging with Jesus each and every day. So Back to an answer that I've said time and time again, man, if you're not opening up your word, the the Bible each and every day, if you're not spending some time in prayer, if you're not, I mean, good discipline of listening to some Christian, if you're not allowing your soul to be filled with that stuff, if you are a Christian, man, like it's going to be very hard for you to be the presence of Jesus where you live, work and play. Um, And I just say, if you're, if you're non-believer, if you're someone who, says man i i'm not a follower of jesus and you're just kind of watching this my my thing to you is i keep exploring like keep engaging um and and try some stuff try try take some steps try some stuff we're gonna throw some stuff out here in the next couple weeks try it and see what type of difference it makes in your life Mm. so john here's here's the point where we get to each and every week is we say, hey, we're, as we talk about this, we want to see it very practically. Um, and we want to see some engagement. We want to see some action. So what's your, what's your I will statement for, for this week's teaching and from this week's conversation? Yeah, it, I, I keep resonating with this. And just in the world of negativity, in the world of just lots of media conversation social stuff that's going on that can honestly just be disheartening um i i really think the biggest thing for myself is just to watch uh, my verbiage the way in which i talk and the way in which i act around this whole idea of social distancing Mm -hmm. to not add to the negativity to not add to the complaining but rather how how can we see the positive how can we see the hope and love of jesus in the midst of this and how can i verbally share that hope with others. Um, I, I think my big thing is I, I will have a positive view and connotation towards this social distancing and how the church can engage during this time to not fuel the fire, uh, to rather just do what Jesus does and offer up hope, come in peace and just love and care for others um, rather than focusing on the negative, seeing the positive that can come out of it. Um, I, I think that's my big thing right now. Okay. Okay. You know, as we, as we get into some of the resources we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks, that, that application, I'm going to, I'm going to push 
for even even more specificity specificity going yeah. forward because because we again be very specific so here's yeah. here's my i will statement because i know you want to turn that question back around on me yeah. i i'm going to beat you to it here's my i will statement is is i will embody the res the resurrected life with my kids and i i think just in the last couple of weeks what's kind of hit me mm. is that uh I have, have been a lot caught up in a lot of different areas, trying to do a lot of different things and, and realizing that the number one influence right now on my kids, because they are home is, is me, yeah. uh, and Ruth, like kind of jointly. And so, um, I think because of the stress and just the reality of the world is I can have a tendency to get, to get angry very quickly. And it's not necessarily about any one thing. It's just like, stressed and then it's like over frustration i mean xavier and i were, we were trying to do some schoolwork with him earlier today and it's like okay i cannot i cannot figure out how to explain this to him and i'm like just follow my instructions and, and i think just in that moment i was just like once again like man like the hope of the resurrection means like i can be patient uh with him i don't have to get mad like he's five gonna be six here in a couple of weeks like yeah. It'll, it'll be okay. Like, yeah. we're going to figure this out. This is not normal. Um, and so I just, what I would say is I looked at, I will statement as I will embody the resurrected life is um, I will uh, be more patient with my kids. Specifically, I will be patient with Xavier as we try to do math and reading uh, together and not, and as if he gets despair, like discouraged or, or feels a level of despair, um, I will I'll be there to, to be a positive uh, encouragement to him uh, and just remember him and point him to Jesus in the midst of that. So that's what's cool is I realized today, it's like, man, in the midst of this, it's like, it's an opportunity to point him uh, back to Jesus. Dude, and I, so, I that. yeah. So, I mean, I just, if, if anyone has questions, if, as we continue to talk about these concepts, uh, let us know what resources would be helpful, helpful for you to live out your faith every day where you live, work, and play. Uh, if you watch the replay of this and have questions, shoot us a message, send a comment. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Generations Church Podcast.